0: I believe that we are in um, kind of a bit of a transition of sorts, so um, uh, not of leadership or anything like that. Don't get worried, but um, I believe that we, in in our thinking and in our mind, and even in the phase of the development of us as a local church body, and so I'm going to be just speaking into some of that this morning. Uh, so I'm going to s- just share a concept about, kind of related to that, and then we're going to look at what does the future, What? why are we here? What, what is this? And it's certainly not going to be new material for anyone who has been around for any length of time. We're going to look at Isaiah 61, <laughs> and uh, this will kind of, in essence, conclude a emphasis, a series, if you will, that we've been doing called A Church Doing What Jesus Does. I see a lot of people kind of like writing things or beginning to type things on your phone, and I would encourage that, because I want to encourage as we're speaking here, as as we're looking at these things, to jot down especially anything that you may feel like the the Lord is speaking to you, because I want to take some time at the end to respond to anything that the Lord actually is speaking to hearts, Uh, so however that works best with you but we're going to look at that and with regards to the transition you may want say it this way that it's it's you know transition is a theme that you see throughout the scripture there's many times where you see transition of of leadership and transition of various seasons and maybe the the biggest of all would would be the transition from the wilderness and into the promised land and i think that there's a lot of themes that would apply from that transition into this season today, and uh, if you think about it, transition from one angle of, of that particular season in the history of Israel was this: the wilderness was where God was doing everything, and the Promised Land is where His people were doing everything in His strength. Does that makes sense. Wilderness, they weren't; they were manna was coming out of heaven. They were, they weren't farming; they weren't doing anything. They were literally following. God's presence wherever they could find it each day. That's that was the responsibility. It's almost like uh, training wheels. Anybody ever like learned how to ride a bike? It's like learning to follow the voice of God. Something that they had to learn before they could enter into the promised land. But in the promised land, it wasn't God just sovereignly doing everything. They put the soles of their feet on the land. They said, "This is the land that God has given me." Their mind said. There are giants who are way bigger than us living in this land, and they had that war within themselves to say, nevertheless, God has spoken, and so I'm going to take it. I'm not going to pray that God takes it. Do you follow what I'm saying? I'm not going to pray for God to, like, blow your mighty wind and blow the giants out of the way. God didn't want it to be that way. He wanted his people to, in confidence and obedience to him, rise up, take their promised land. They take it. God is with them. And uh, that, I believe, speaks something of this season and a transition that I myself, maybe let's say it that way, let's just be vulnerable, I feel God challenging me in this particular area. Some of you may remember, I think it was two weeks ago, we were sharing about how we had the privilege of going to Sean Bowles, uh, uh, kind of like a an evening with a guy named Sean Bowles. It was this powerful time, and he flows in the supernatural and the prophetic, and amazing. I mean, we saw supernatural things that I woke up the next morning saying, oh, my gosh, that happened last night. Like, whoa, (laughs) what? But the thing that spoke to me that night had nothing to do with any of that. The thing that spoke to me was what the Lord spoke to my heart in worship. I came with all these things that I was carrying that were kind of burdening my soul things that need to shift things that need to change and lord i've come here in obedience to the city and i'm doing what i do and lord i'm just trusting you to change and, and these things and to shift and and uh, the lord spoke to my heart and said you shift them i'm with you okay you're yes lord you're right wilderness mentality promised land mentality you follow what i'm saying we can put up on the screen, of course we don't have a person there, but if there was somebody there, <laughs> I guess he's probably, uh, thank you, Kurt, you're awesome, dude, um, if we could, awesome, thank you so much, put up on the screen, there is, uh, I had a conversation recently with, with a uh, man I respect, he's an elder in, in Anthem Church down in Chicago, and uh, just an amazing guy, maybe you'll meet him one day. And we were just having a chat, and he was talking about some things and, and just saying that there's a, uh, that the poor, if you, if you can find that, the poor, they're, the thinking of the poor, and please hear this, is survival. It's hand to mouth. It's day to day. In this city, my friends, we, there is a poverty mentality that is, you have to fight that thing to even let it get, keep it from getting on you. And the thing, it's a fight for survival. It's hand to mouth. It's getting through the day. Whereas like more of a middle class, the, the responsible thing to do at that kind of economic level is we're beginning to think about, um, uh, we're beginning to think about savings and we're thinking about retirement. We're not just thinking about today, this week, we're thinking about several years down the road. And what my friend was saying is, is they say, you know, uh, another echelon of wealth, not that we're all about, like, becoming rich at all, that's not the goal at all, but is, is that the rich are thinking about legacy. And he was actually saying this in the context of him getting into investing in properties and wanting to be able to have an inheritance for his children and those kinds of things. And I thought, wow, that, you know, that's, there's something to that, 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 that thing of not just looking at the the rock face right in front of you every day, all day. But, be, but, but practicing getting back and seeing the big picture. Why am I doing today what I'm doing? Where am I going? What is this? And that's what I want to call us to this morning as a church. Moses, if you would, if you would see it this way, you know, we... we uh, could, could you... Uh, could I... Do we not have the slides? Okay. All right. So Moses... If I could say it this way, Moses, Joshua, David, three different, you know, we talk about the poor, the middle class, and the rich. Let's talk about kind of progression of God's purposes. Moses would be survival in wilderness. Joshua season would be possessing land, taking it. David, who became king, it would be not just possessing the land, but setting up a kingdom, a throne, legacy, is what I'm getting at. He, God said to David that on, upon your throne, uh, your kingdom will last forever, and there will be somebody sitting on your throne forever. And of course Jesus is the one ultimately that sits on that throne today, the, of the lineage of David. My, I, my, well, my point is this long-range picture. and if you look at the Proverbs 29:18, a very familiar scripture, Proverbs 29:18 says this: "Where there is no vision, people perish." So just think about that, the reality of living life on a day-to-day basis where you don't actually have a vision of what you're doing. And some of you are thinking, like, I don't even have to think about that. That's like my daily reality. (laughs) And for most humans, that is the case. We live through getting through the day. And God God is saying where you live in the absence of vision. And the idea there of the original language of that text is prophetic revelation. The Holy Spirit painting a picture for you to see where it is that you're headed. I had a conversation with my friend the other day, Mickey. Mickey he's talking about how the lord started to open up his mind his eyes to see something that he could live in that's so glorious and beautiful and wonderful but the reality is that as we begin to pursue that living in it 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 challenges all of our weaknesses and our fears and our strongholds but that thing of seeing a picture, a preferred future, something that God has made available to us, that smittens our heart, can I, if I can say it that way. It makes us so enamored with that will of God that we're willing to overcome all of our weaknesses and our fears to pursue it because we've seen something that is far better. And we want to live in it, and we want as many other people to live in it as well. Where there is no vision, you perish. You're, you're merely going through the circle, the cycle, the rat race. You're just surviving. You're just, and God has called us to live in life, abundance of life, not perishing, which is death, but life. And so I would call us to these things just on a practical level before we look at Isaiah 61. One is let's all of us in Bar- Border City Church move from survival to vision. Move from survival to vision. Let me warn you on the front end. That's the first of four things that I just want to say. Move from survival to vision. Let's also do this. Let's move from short range to long range. What I'm doing today, I'm doing because I've seen something afar off. The scripture says that Abraham saw a country far off and he started to make his way. Not knowing where he was going. But he saw something. Let's be like that. Hear the whisper. See. Open up our heart in the tenderness of our relationship to God to see what he perceives and to start moving into that direction that today is informed by that. Not survival. Thirdly, let's move from small. In the wilderness, they ate manna, right? Let's move from small to Big. In the promised land, they had a land flowing with milk and honey. It's moved from small to big. You may not be big, but what's in you is big. And you start living in who you are today, and it becomes outwardly what you are inside. And fourthly, let's identify what God's vision is over our lives and identify the faith steps that that looks like in this season to move there. I'm sure Moses and Joshua and the entourage could have had an awesome message about the land flowing with milk and honey and how there's wonderful and it's going to be great and it's super and let's talk about everything that God has shown us. But at the end of the day, there was a faith step that had to be taken to obtain that promised land. We can talk about it all day. You have to put your feet in the water, and God will split. And he won't split, maybe I should say, those waters so that you can cross that Jordan River until your feet are placed in that river and you start marching and saying, this is where I'm going. Here's the first step. So what is your vision? I want to say to us as a church... Before we get too often to what is God's vision for me, let's take great care to say that the vision for my life, whatever it is, fits into the context of his vision. This isn't about me. This is about him and it's about them. And that's where the context that my life fits into. And having said that, let's look at Isaiah 61, because this is and always will be and always was the vision the motivating factor the preferred future of the lord isaiah 61 if you can turn there with me i have read this scripture so many times some of you know that the lord spoke this to my heart when i was on a trip to south africa in 2008 thinking that god had some kind of an like a translocal future and that nation, for us as a family, God would open up doors. We would be involved in stuff over there. And I went out there and thinking that we'll, we'll, we'll go back and forth. We'll visit this nation. You know, it's part of what God's called us to do. And I went out there, and God called us to live there, without a doubt. Like, I knew God was calling, saying to me that I'm calling your family to this place. This was the scripture that he spoke to me. And um, we walked some of this out I feel in part in that place and it's still relevant I fully believed in, in, in Africa in South Africa but I believe that God was thinking as much of Detroit little did I know in 2008 when he started to speak this to me and I have preached this, message, this scripture so many times and in South Africa I had to say to be understood Isaiah 61 and my brain still has to think is it Isaiah or Isaiah Isaiah I used to argue that, like it's Isaiah. But if you look at the way it's worded, I would, I mean, spelled, I would say Isaiah is probably more accurate. Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 4. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. If you have a Bible, if you have a Bible app, I would ask you, please open this up and keep it open while we're talking about this. Verse 2: To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint to them that mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He might be glorified. And they shall rebuild the old ruins, they shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. Why are we looking at this scripture today? Because your vision, which we're identifying, we need to identify what is God's vision for me. It fits into the context of his vision. And this is the scripture that Jesus read and quoted when he first started his ministry. Luke chapter 4, the first thing that we see him preaching, if you will, even though he didn't really preach, he read it. In a synagogue, right after getting baptized in the, Holy, by the, Holy, baptized in the Jordan River and the Holy Spirit coming upon him, he read this scripture and he said, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your eyes. In your ears, in your hearing. And uh, that was the vision, the mission that he was proclaiming over what he was about to do. This is the ministry of Jesus, the gospel to the poor, and that they ultimately, once described as poor, come to a place of becoming rebuilders of ruins. And so let's look at this. Um, If you can go backwards, let's start in verse 4. Move through kind of this progression of verses 1 through 4. We're going to go verses 4 back to 1, okay? Kind of start at the end and move our way back. The end goal, the vision, what Jesus sees over my life, over your life, and over the people he's called us to reach is that we, they, we all become rebuilders of ruins. And that in this, in this world, because of sin, because of the works of darkness, there are ruins in our lives. And I've talked oftentimes, and I'll even reference it again some of this morning, of specific ruins in my own life. That God, through his grace, brought me to a place of wholeness and healthiness where there had been brokenness due to sin. And every single one of us are in a continual process of being healed and restored and becoming whole. And as we do, it's not just for our own good. It's actually that we would become channels of helping other people, rebuilding their ruins. As my ruins are rebuilt, I become a rebuilder of ruins. And it says, they, who are they? It's the poor, not just the economically poor. It's the poor in spirit, those who receive the gospel. They shall rebuild the old ruins. So, yesterday there was a group of, it was actually Mickey and, and Andrew, who's unfortunately not, he's working this morning. Um, we went to DRM, Detroit Rescue Mission Ministries, and um, we were sharing out of, the, of forgiveness and just sharing with these men who are homeless and in this shelter. And, and talking about forgiveness and going through, like, what it's done in our lives. And I'm sharing this testimony of, like, powerful things that God's done in my heart and in my life through forgiveness. And I'm just thinking, as I'm sharing, and these guys are catching on, would you agree, Mix, They, they, they you could see lights going off. And the guys were glued in and, and listening. Um, it's the power in what was being shared is that I'm not just sharing the biblical topic of forgiveness. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6 and talk about forgiveness. I'm talking about something God's done in my life. This isn't theory. This is, like, real. And because it's real, when I open my mouth, there's something to impart. There's, there's power. Power has worked in me, and so power can flow through me. And not because of me, because of him. You know, all I did was say Yes. So my point being, as I was touched by God to come into this place of understanding forgiveness and practicing forgiveness and being healed through forgiveness and my heart being cleaned and purified, air clear through forgiveness, little did I know that I would then be able to share that in such ways that these men, so many of whom have had horrible things done to them, who are living in a prison because of the unforgiveness in their hearts, that God would be able to speak into that place to open up a door and beckon them to come out into freedom. Isn't that cool? Rebuilder of ruins. I had ruins. Didn't even know they were ruined. So God started revealing stuff to me. Didn't even know I had ruins. That's what he does. Every single thing that you are receiving from God, and can I say... Oftentimes, what you're receiving from God is uncomfortable. We remember that. Every single thing that we're receiving from God, that we're word of God, that things that he's speaking that we have to say yes to, he has all these other people in mind on the back end of first healing you. That's Rebuilders of Ruins. So I, I, I commented to some of these guys, you know, afterwards we were having some coffee and, and they were all talking about coming to, to church, and they will, they, they'll, they'll come. They just need some, <laughs> we, we understand how it is to work at DRM and it just takes a while. And they were talking about wanting to come, and, um, and I looked at them and I just said, man, you stick with us for a while. You're going to be coming after you get out of here, find a job, have your own place. You're going to be coming back in here with us and helping other men. And he kind of looked at me and, like, I could see it was like, I want that, but wow, do you really think that? Yeah. Love it. I was talking to somebody that I'm kind of in a discipleship relationship with and just kind of helping them along and helping them, you know, sharing, encouraging their faith and helping them to grow. I was just explaining to him that this um, discipleship thing, I said, let me make it very clear to you what this thing is. Because that's what Rebuilders of Ruins is, by the way. It's all discipleship. That's what Jesus did, right? Correct me if I'm wrong, that's what the Gospels look like. It's just making disciples. That's what he's told us to do, go and make disciples of all nations. And I said, let me just explain what this discipleship thing is. This isn't like you coming to me, the, the wise sage, so I can pontificate my wisdom to you. This is you have a relationship with God. I have a relationship with him. I'm coming from the the riches of what I've discovered and what I've followed Jesus into. I'm coming over to you and to be involved in your relationship with him so that I can help you develop that journey. And you know what's going to happen? My relationship with God has wound up that I've got something maybe to share with you. And as you further your relationship more and more, you're going to be able to have impact on other people. And you know what's going to happen there? They're going to develop their relationship and be able to impact that's what this thing looks like. You following? This thing of discipleship. So steps into discipleship and becoming a rebuilders of ruins. Just want to ask us some questions, make some comments. One, just want to ask all of us, who is pouring into you? If we become a rebuilder of ruins, if that's the whole idea, that all of us are called to be rebuilders of ruins and that people need to be sent into our lives to help us in our journey, then we first need to receive Other people into our own lives. So who's pouring into you? Secondarily, we need to shift from just receiving to being the one giving. Some of you know the story of Jesus and the hem of his garment. The woman with the issue of blood grabbed a hold of his garment. And I've heard a wise lady once say that at some point you need to go from being the one grabbing the hem of his garment to becoming the one wearing the garment that other people are grabbing and getting healed from. We need to shift in our maturity to becoming the source and not just the recipient. So on that note, are you or are we praying for those to whom God is sending us? Are we carrying them? Are we living in a harvest field all around that God wants to speak through us, but because we're so focused on our agenda and our to-do list, we don't even see them. Jesus says, open up your wives. Don't think it's three months from now. The harvest is white today. Are we carrying them? Are we even noticing them? Believe me, Jesus notices them. And he needs people on the earth to also notice them the way he notices them. And finally, I would say, in terms of being a rebuild of ruins, very practical, community group. And we'll, we'll share more on that in a, in a couple weeks just to get back to why we do community group, what that is. We meet Midweek, Pretty much everyone in this room has probably been in the community group uh, before. We've got one that's meeting here in Detroit. We've got one that's meeting out in Pleasant Ridge. Uh, But the reality of just being with each other, not sitting in a chair facing forward on a Sunday. As important as this is, being with each other, sharing meals, encouraging one another, praying together, having fun. You know, sometimes I was saying the other day, our community group is probably going to go down to the Detroit River and we're probably not even going to crack open a Bible. And we we might like laugh. And we're not going to open up in prayer or close in prayer. Because our life is a prayer. Prayer. So it says, rebuilders of ruins. Now, if you'll go back with me, again, we're going backwards, right? From verse 4, if you look back to verse 3, the progression of what God does in our lives, it says, to appoint to them that mourn in Zion. If you look at that word appoint, it actually means to set into place. And the idea of where that scripture, of, excuse me, that word that's translated in English as appoint, where the same Hebrew word is used elsewhere, it's always like the setting of um, candles in, in, in the Holy of Holies or in the, in the temple, the setting into place, or the, uh, even the setting into place in ordination of priests. It has to, setting into place something that has a function and a purpose, setting it into its rightful place. Do you know that you and I have a place in the work of the Lord, a unique calling that in the course of the gospel working its, its way in our lives? Part of that is the discovery of who we are. The voice of the Father showing us who we are and becoming confident as sons and daughters of God of standing in that place so that we can become a rebuilder of ruins. In fact, I would dare say you're not fully going to become a rebuilder of ruins without really knowing this is what I'm called to. And if you don't feel like you know what it is, let that make you hungry. Lord, I want to... I want to do your will for me. And by the way, you don't discover who you are by asking God, who am I? I?" (laughs) You actually discover who you are by finding out who he is. As I pursue knowing him, my eyes become open to see who he is, and who he shows of himself to me is actually him speaking to me who I am in him. Does that make sense? who Minda sees as she encounters Jesus may be a different aspect of who he is, but what he shows of himself to her speaks to her of who she's called to be. Because as we see him, 2 Corinthians 3 says, we are transformed into that same image even as of the glory of the Lord, from glory to glory, as by the Spirit of the Lord, from glory to glory. What Mickey encounters of Jesus it smittens his heart and it changes him, but it also causes him to begin to walk that out. The, you following? That's how this thing happens. I've got this little notebook here. This played an incredible part of me discovering who I am. This five star, I don't even know what it is, made by Mead. Mead. Uh, for some of you younger folks, this is called a notebook. We used to have things called pens, and we wrote our thoughts down on paper, I know. So uh, a girl, I, I don't even know what her name, back then, her name was Kelly Edenfield. She gave this to me. In fact, she gave this to me on February 19th, 1997. And I had just become a Christian, and I was like zealous and loving Jesus. And she gave this, and she said, I felt like the Holy Spirit told me to buy this for you. And she wrote some thoughts in there, and it was basically saying, I gave this to you because I feel like this is something that you can write down all the things that God tells you so that you can like, have, have something to write them down. So as simple as that is, you know what that did? I took this book, and in my simple faith said, so God wants to show me things. And so from there, I just had an expectation. God, you want to speak to me. And as you speak to me, I'm going to write it down. And so from there, as I was just reading scripture, if I was in a church service, or wherever, I just began to write down every time I felt like the Holy Spirit, that thing of the Holy Spirit. You know what I'm talking about? When you know he's speaking to your heart, he's showing you. It's like your veil is lifted and you're seeing something. And I would write it down. I got into the practice of that. And in time, these things began to like burn in my heart. And I began to realize I feel like preaching these things. Now, that may not seem like a big deal to you. That was foreign to me. That was not like on the, on the radar for me. But it kept on happening more and more and more. And I began to realize I'm born for this. I'm born to articulate divine revelation that the Lord gives me. Thank you, Kelly. i wanting to say, what is, what is the Lord, as he begins to show you things, what desires does that put in your heart? Psalms 37 says this. Please hear this. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Does that mean that if I delight myself in the Lord and I desire a Lamborghini, that I'm going to get a Lamborghini? Okay. So would we agree that it's probably not what the scripture intends? To to say there, delight yourself in the Lord. And if you look at the original Hebrew text, and I know we've got some young people in the room, so I want to be careful, it would basically mean to be opening yourself up to receive from him the way a woman receives from a man's body. Okay, are we cool with this? Probably not. Some of you are like, what the heck? (laughs) Delight yourself, give yourself, avail yourself fully to the Lord, and he puts into you desires in your heart. I have desires because of this or because of what happened in my delighting of him that I I, I wrote down, I journaled in here. I have desires in my heart that weren't even remote thoughts in my head before that are now pulsating in my my heart. Desires, delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of of your heart. The desires he places in your heart speak to what he's called you to do. So that his calling for you does not come from compulsion. It comes from desire. But it comes first from desiring him. And then he gives you the desires of your heart. And you know what happens then as you pursue those desires? He then gives you the desires of your heart. You follow what I'm saying? He gives you the desire, and then he gives you the fulfillment of that desire of your heart. To a and into place. And then if you go, again, leading backwards, liberate. Liberation. It says in verse 1, to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty, say "Liberty." liberty, liberty to the captives. Would you agree? This is fundamental to the ministry of Jesus. And if it is, it's fundamental to our ministry. Your appointing, your being set into your place, is premised upon, or it's for the purpose of you ministering the freedom that you've been given. If you don't find any freedom through your relationship with Jesus, you don't have anything to give in the place that you're appointed to. So it's following Jesus in Him, kind of going into your own personal space, dealing with your own fears, dealing with you. That on the and, and it usually feels like scary and onerous, actually. But as you follow Him through these processes, and you become liberated you actually wind up having something to give in your place of being appointed. I can remember, and I've shared oftentimes, addiction to pornography for me, uh, years of that. And just the the mindset of that. And I can remember as the Lord began to deal with that as an early Christian. And I began to uh, allow the Lord to, um, I, I, I I began to repent of that and began to want to distance myself from that. I can remember there being times where the temptation was overwhelming. I'm just being real, like a crack addict, honestly. Something that was so deep, had such a grip. And I can remember feeling, this stinks. Like, this, surely there's got to be more life than just resisting this temptation. Like, that, if that's my life. And I can remember walking through and just longing to be beyond this, longing for this thing not to have such a grip on my life. And you know what? Eventually that did happen. That grip freed. I didn't understand when I was walking through the difficulties of that process as a young 19-year-old, I didn't understand that that process would lead me to being able to share that freedom with countless of other men. You follow what I'm saying? It's it's the walking with Jesus through the fire that gives you something to then be able to give away. and, And it's arsenal when you are appointed into your place to become a rebuilder. And if we can go back even further, it first says to bind up the brokenhearted. The gospel to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. In the love of God, my friends, is what binds up our broken hearts. And there's probably, I don't care how tough you think you are in here, manly man or whatever the case may be, every single one of us has areas of brokenness in our hearts. And it's always the love of God that heals it. And this journey that we're on with Jesus is simply a deeper and deeper encounter with God's love for us so that we can then give that love away. So, the binding up of the brokenhearted, the love of God, my friends, is the central issue of the fall and the cross. So, what do I mean by that? If you ever thought about it, and I've shared it with before. At the fall, Garden of Eden, God says to not um, eat from a certain fruit, the, the tree of a certain fruit. The tree of a certain. Don't eat the, don't eat the fruit of a certain tree. <laughs> the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And. Um, Then the the enemy came in and he begins to to say to Eve that, did God really say that you're going to die if you eat that fruit? God, in fact, you're not only not going to die, you're going to become like him. And he started to make accusations against the character and nature of God, suggesting that God lied, right? But if God would lie to them, then God couldn't be trusted, Right? If God can't be trusted, it's all, without him actually saying these words, what the serpent was actually saying is that God doesn't actually love you. And that is the lie that has been imparted into each and every one of us. And if you don't believe me, ask yourself, why have you struggled to follow God's will in obedience? It's because you don't understand and I don't understand his love. That he is actually totally trustworthy. What was the whole issue of the cross? And I don't wanna kind of sound cheesy, but I actually think that it's relevant that Jesus was in kind of a hugging position. That at the cross, God became a man so that there would be a testimony in the earth, not of some story, not of some words that a physical act would prove forever God loves people without measure. Yes. That's the story of the fall, is that the lie that he doesn't love you and that's the lie was undone by Jesus. And what I'm saying is that love is ultimately the thing that heals broken hearts yes. and God wants each and every one of us to receive that love, to have ever Mending of the hearts, and that's what we're ministering to people. How do people receive that love? How has God chosen for people to receive that love? You ready? The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. It's the message of Jesus with the power of the Holy Spirit. It is a supernatural thing that people encounter him when we speak what he's spoken into our hearts. Now, I'm not saying that we can't physically serve people. If there's a homeless person, we don't only preach the gospel at them. Like, let's help them, right? But at the same time, please, let's not just help the homeless person out without giving them the gospel. Because God wants to mend broken hearts, and it's mended as they encounter his love through the gospel, The gospel is the way God's love is transferred. We preach the gospel simply by having real, authentic relationship with him, and everything that he does in us through that relationship is something that is real and authentic that we can say to others. Again, if I was just pontificating about forgiveness yesterday, I could have all my theology right, but it would have zero power, right? Because there's no testimony in it. There's no spiritual activity in my own life where I've followed a trail of God leading me that I can then call back to others and, and say, hey, this way, I know the way, come. And in the same way, Jesus says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me. You know what that means? It means you're just somebody that's experienced something and you're telling others about what you've experienced. That's it. You're, you're a, t- a testifier of this earth of something that doesn't exist naturally in this earth that exists in heaven. But because you're connected to him in heaven, you can be his mouthpiece in the earth just to share what he's done in your life. That's it. Preach the gospel. Take all of the things that you think that you can't preach the gospel. Take all those things off. All you have to do is follow Jesus and tell others about what you've experienced. That's it. You can do that. Do you know that? And so this is, my friends, it's, it's the gospel, and all of that is predicated on the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because the Lord has, it's not just the gospel, it begins even before that that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. In other words, it is the activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives that is the beginning point of this whole process that we just spoke of, beginning, that ends with Rebuilders of Ruins, all originates with human beings having the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. That, that then leads them to be able to have an encounter and experience with God that they can then share that experience. In other words, preaching the good news. And that good news becomes the very thing that causes people to encounter him and begin a process of receiving and receiving heart healing, having their hearts mended. And that encounter with Jesus and that receiving of his word then uh, leads them to becoming liberated, just like I've been liberated in some areas. You've probably been liberated from any area of captivity. And, And that liberation and that healing becomes what people need to step into their being appointed into place. Are you following? following the process here when I'm appointed into place I my what I have in my arsenal comes from the healing and the liberty that I've received and then being appointed into a place I then become confident in who I am a rebuilder of ruins you become a rebuilder of ruins the day you receive Jesus it's not like some process that one day you graduate and get to and yet it's all of these things that God does through us and then through others and that, my friends, is what we're called to do. And that thing of it's starting with the spirit of God, that is why we've done this deep and wide, is to go deeper into the spirit and true relationship and communion and the gifts of the spirit so that we can go wide in reaching other people. And that, my friends, is also, I believe, why God has sent at this hour Anton and Ange Cater who carry something of life in the spirit in a very unique way uh that is going to i believe catalyze something for the days to come